what's going on behind the scenes with your favorite Voice America show or host. For the latest news, visit the iRadio blog at iradioblog.com. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Patricia Raskin's Positive Living, the program that brings you practical and inspiring principles for living more authentic, engaging, and passionate lives. Created by Patricia Raskin, a catalyst for positive change. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of the host, guests, and callers. And now, here's your host, Patricia Raskin. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome. Welcome to Patricia Raskin Positive Living. It's always an honor and a pleasure to be with you each week. Today we're talking about narrative play therapy and what that is. And I am talking to Ann Dinsmore. And her work has been with children. Her book is Play-Based Speech Therapy, Speech and Language Services for Young Children. That's some of her work. But her practice is as a language therapist and audiologist for preschoolers and elementary children. She's been doing this play-based speech therapy work for over 30 years. And she works with literacy skills, language skills, reading and narrative formulation, writing and organizational skills. And she's also a consultant to teachers in elementary school. Welcome, Anne. Thank you. Yes, I know you have. I'd like to talk about a couple of the books that you have because I know that you have two or three books. Mm -hmm. Um, You've written many articles, but your books are Helping Children with Autism Become More Social, Mm -hmm. Ways to Use Narrative Play, and then your successful preschooler. Ten Mm -hmm. children need to become competent and socially engaged. So the children that you work with, Anne, are these children that have special needs or not necessarily? Do they all have special needs? Well, that's a good question. I think um, I work with a, a lot of children on a different, a wide range, and many of them come to me. They're perfectly typical children, but they're not talking. And some of them mm-hmm. are toddlers, and some of them are preschoolers, and for some reason or another, they, the development is a little bit slower and they need a little bit of scaffolding or help along the way. And that's where I come in to help them with social language. And are they not talking just because they're a little delayed or they're anxious or what do you think is the reason or does it vary? Well, there's so many reasons why children don't talk and many of them develop a, a wonderful gesture system. I have little uh, preschoolers that come in to me, come to see me, and the parents say, I can understand him. He tells me how to give him everything with his gestures and his facial expressions. And sometimes that's reinforced, and they do really well with that, and they just prefer not to talk. Then there are children who are real shy and temperamentally inhibited, and they really are afraid to talk to mm. anyone but their mother or their father. And then there's children with neurodevelopmental delays, such as autism or other disorders, 
And then there's also children with developmental verbal dyspraxia or apraxia, which means the child has trouble sequencing sounds, consonants, mm. and vowels. And they just do that. Does that have to do with, with their that. hearing at all? Sometimes children come in and they have a hearing loss mm. or they have a hearing problem. And mm. so they aren't able to listen to their own voice as language develops. And this can impair their speech development. So give us an example of what you do in narrative play therapy. I know that the goal is to develop a trusting and safe environment to relate with children so Mm -hmm. that you make a a special connection, but what are some of the things that you do? Well, I think think the most important thing is is that, you know, play therapy doesn't work for all children. It helps many, but it doesn't help for every single child that's language delayed. And I think the most important thing is to know is that the parents can learn this too and teachers can learn it. It's not rocket science. But the first thing I do is make first contact, I call that phase, and just try to develop a trusting relationship. I follow the child. I follow their interest. I imitate everything they're saying. I imitate mm. their sounds and get them to connect. And then the second phase is to develop joint attention to get them to notice another peer to notice what another child is doing, to talk about, to narrate the actions of another peer. And then they finally move into this phase I call reciprocity, which means it's that back-and-forth communication Mm. where kids exchange ideas. And nowadays, four-year-olds really go back and forth in a reciprocal way in a quick, quick pace. And the final phase is social engagement where they're able to really play at the same time engage in social interaction and develop narratives and stories. Mm. So give us an example of some of the things you do in play. Do you work with blocks, with clay, with, with outside, with uh, <laughs> leaves and trees? What, explain what you do. Well, I, I do everything. I think one of the most important things in the work I do um, that I find seems to work well is to take the children out to the environment. And I often take the family to a farm or to a uh, playground and help them engage and find that first contact with the child because the outside environment is so important to engage a child socially. And I also develop different ways in the office where we engage in dramatic play because dramatic play and the research there leads directly to later academic achievement. And in dramatic play with kids where you can pretend and develop symbolic play and pretend you're an astronaut or whatever you want to be, you also are at the same time developing the child's language and their vocabulary and their reasoning skills, and they learn to sequence their ideas in play. So I work on all of these language skills within the domain of play therapy. So we're always working with the target goals of helping the child develop speech and language and more complex sentences and also teaching them to organize their ideas and to sequence their thoughts. And then they also have to connect and learn how to express their emotions. Some kids learn need to learn how to say how they feel. <laughs> That's a real hard one. Well, listen, adults have problems saying how they feel. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, in so many cases, but we often see no, no. We often see that children. It's easier to tell them to say how they feel. They're not so filtered. The filters haven't come in yet as much mm-hmm. for many of them. Mm-hmm. 
Well, I find that children can say how they feel. Sometimes they want to. They don't have the the empathy that they need to see how other children feel, mm. and they may want to say, you know, I don't care, or I'm not good at that, or I can't do that. And what I do is I help them develop new language scripts, and I give them suggestions. We don't memorize things, but for example, I might tell a child to say, "Who says I can't do that?" I may say. I'm not great at this, but I can do it. I, I don't like this, but I'll try it. It might work. And it's surprising how giving them a new positive language script, they can start to develop a different way of relating to a peer. Mm. So how do you... What are some of the strategies you use to encourage children to use language. Do you do it as they're playing? Do you do it through the emotion of a game where they speak? Uh, if, they, if they are starting to talk, I, I encourage to, to, I try to get them to the part where they're using reciprocal language. I do use um, play therapy to teach them a lot of things. I do teach them uh, various ways of talking to a peer and recognizing the emotions of the other peer and I point out the emotions of their peer and we narrate the actions of another peer mm-hmm. and the way to do it is very simple. You, you, As a parent or a teacher, you have to make friends with that child's peer and then you start to develop a bond with them and the research of course says that a, a prompt from a peer to a child is more powerful than from an adult. And eventually you start to teach the peer to make comments about the child that you're working with. And they go back and forth and back and forth and you reinforce it and you become one of the peers in the group to do it. How do you determine which medium you're going to use, whether it's indoors or outdoors, whether it's play, whether it's drawing? How do you determine that? Do you get to know the child? That, Patricia, that's a great question. It really is individually set up for the child. I mean, each individual child needs a different thing. Right. For example, I have one two-year-old who just adores my, my Portuguese water dog. I have a therapy dog, and uh-huh. I bring him into the office with this little boy, and he was not talking. And as soon as I brought in my Portuguese water dog, I said to him, here's a ball. And he immediately, immediately took the ball and said, Mappy, which is the name of the dog. And so we, we do our play therapy with my dog. <laughs> mm. And he learns to imitate sounds and to negotiate with the dog. And he learns to say things like, you're too close. Don't take my train. And then it transfers over to his peers. So that's just one example. Um, some children love to play baseball. But believe it or not, we... We, since we all love the Red Sox here in New England, <laughs> you know, we, we set up a little baseball team, sometimes in the office, sometimes it's outside. If it's winter um, and I have a child that just loves sledding, I may take two piers out on two tube sleds and we slide down a hill and we practice making comments back and forth from one tube sled to the other. And I know this sounds um, <laughs> ridiculous, but... The engagement is what I need, and it works. And they remember it because they associate the language with an activity that they love. Mm. So that's how we pick it. 
to know the child, too. I mean, you, you spend enough time with the child that you get to know what their preferences are. Right. Because for some children, I would think, let's say you had one child that loved puzzles and games. Right. I know I know as a little girl, puzzles were challenging for me. So if I were one of those kids and you gave me a puzzle, that wouldn't encourage me to talk. It would just encourage me to get frustrated. Right. So I would think that, that you really get to know the child because some children, that's a great way, and other children, it's like too much. Right. Exactly. And some children get stuck on things. You know, they don't want to do anything but puzzles. And then you uh-huh. have to help them increase their repertoire of play. How does the outdoors play into this? No pun intended. How how do you um, when do you pick the outdoors? Do you pick that a lot with children, or does it depend? Well, I think I pick it a lot. It depends on the child, but sometimes if a child isn't talking, I do do take them outside. And sometimes when I have two pairs together, I take them outside. It just depends on the case. Depends on the child. I think parents have to experiment. You know, they take them out and they have to see how it goes. If you get more language by taking them to a park and you're going up and down the slide and they're engaged with you going up and down the slide, that's a good thing. Language can occur anywhere. And it's really the the best social interaction, I think, occurs where the child's happy. Mm. If you can take them to a little pond, sometimes I've taken kids to Walden Pond, and we just watch leaves fall down on the water, and we laugh at the leaves, and we watch the ducks go by. And this sounds like a simple thing, but they'll start to notice it and talk about it and talk about the duck. Mm. So it's really important to find, as a parent or a teacher, what it is that your kids love to do. And even if they can't talk to you, they'll let you know. They get excited. You can see their facial expressions. They'll connect with you, and it's so important to find that eye contact with your child. And they'll look back at you. They'll want you to do it again. I mean, my little two-year-old asked me to bring Mappy to every session. (laughs) And then I have two boys that love to play baseball. And they're always just discussing as to who's going to be Ortiz. But, you know, it depends on the children and it depends on the situation and their needs. So the strategies in my book sort of outline some of the ideas that I've used for over these 30 years about what to do with a child when you take them out to play. And yet you always have these goals in mind. Mm. You want to increase... Go ahead. What would your advice be to parents and also grandparents who are, you know, in terms of encouraging their children to talk, to share, to express? What would be your suggestions? Sharing is a really hard thing. Um, I think one of, the, one of the things that I've taught them, which seems to work pretty well, it's sort of a funny strategy, but one of them is with the young children is to, you know, I'm with them, and they may have a truck, and they both want the same truck. And I'll say to them, okay, 
it's time for Jimmy to have the truck now. Mm. And then and then Johnny, who has the truck, starts to cry. And I'll say, mm-hmm. well, Johnny, what what can you do while you share your truck? Can you find something else to do? And I work on helping that child seek another thing to play with mm. while he's sharing his truck. And it seems to work. I mean, that's one tiny strategy. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> sometimes yeah. parents use t- time, but that doesn't always work. They use what? Time. You know, five yes. minutes here, five minutes there. Yeah. <coughs> yeah. yeah. So, I mean, you know, the skills that you're, that you're talking about, even though you often work with a specialized group of children, many times they have special needs, these are skills that we can be using as, as caregivers and grandparents and uh, parents and aunts and uncles with children. Absolutely. I mean, there isn't, I mean, if you read Your Successful Preschooler, it's really not just for children with special needs. It's for all kids, Mm. helping them be more flexible, helping them be more empathetic, more resilient, helping them be better. Let's look at that. We have a a couple minutes left. What would you, what advice would you give? What would be something we could do to help our children be more resilient? Well, I think the hardest thing is for helping children to really become more resilient and flexible is to always introduce new experiences to children and to help them understand what other peers are thinking about because children between the ages of two and six can understand the perspective of others. And if they can learn to bounce back when things don't exactly work the way they want them to work and they can learn to seek other options in play, then they become more resilient. In other words, you have to help the child see other other options. I mean, for mm-hmm. example, if a child falls off of a slide, he has to know that he has options. He can call an adult. He can go get a boo-boo pillow and put some ice on his on his boo-boo, or he can jump up and try the slide again, or he can ask one of the teachers to help him, or he can turn to a friend and say, oops, look what happened. I mean, he has to learn all the options of each situation. Mm -hmm. And kids that have options seem to be more resilient. They also have an ability to compromise, and you can teach kids to compromise. In other words, when two kids negotiate, and they want to have things their way, you can teach them by teaching them the rules of negotiation to come to an agreement that isn't necessarily best for one or the other, but is a new agreement, a new idea. Mm. I mean, it would take me a while. I couldn't explain this in the next two minutes. No, but it's very, these are very important things. And now here's another one you mentioned, uh, helping children become more empathetic. Would that tie mm-hmm. into what you just said? Yes, I think that's really important, and empathy is something that kids really need. And kids can become quite empathetic. I know, just to end with this cute little story, Alison Gopnik wrote a book, Philosophical Baby, and she had four-year-olds, and she put a basket with a rabbit in it, a stuffed rabbit, and she had an elephant, and, and the bunny liked the elephant, and she had a stuffed zebra, and the bunny shook with fear when he saw the zebra. Then she put all three animals in the basket, and the toddlers immediately grabbed the zebra to be away from the bunny. 
and they knew that he'd be afraid. So the, the idea is children at a very young age can be empathetic. <laughs> mm-hmm. They can see that their actions may have positive or negative effects on others. And I think that's something to think about as a parent. You can teach your children about how others feel when they do certain things. Mm-hmm. They need to use kind words, and that's the biggest piece, helping your child use kind well, words. so much so, because as often as kids get older, we hear them you know, not being very nice to each other, and then you get into that whole thing of bullying. That's oh, a whole other topic. So that's, you're talking about teaching children how to be nice to each other when they're very young. And, and recognizing the feelings of others and talking about them, labeling them, expressing them, expressing their emotions, and recognizing emotions in others at an early age. And they can. That's the thing. They're capable because of the brain's high plasticity at this early age. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, we are just about out of time. I would like you to tell people how they can find out more about your work and your books and your articles. Okay. Um, my book is Your Successful Preschooler, and it's <clears throat> 10 Skills Children Need to Become Confident and Socially Engaged. It's published by Harvard Medical School and Jossie Bass. And my book on autism is Helping Children with Autism Become More Social. It's published by Prager. And uh, I have a little website, child-talk.com. And I have... I'm starting a blog for parents and teachers, which I haven't put out there yet, but I'm going to be doing it soon. And I have a little blog on my dog therapy, and I'm always working on things to give to parents constantly. I also have a DVD that goes with the book on autism, which is on Amazon. Great. So that's the story, and I just keep going. It's a lot of fun. I love my work. That's wonderful. Well, I know I know what that's like, and when you love your work, it makes it easy, and it and you bring such joy to people. Really, want to thank you so much, Anne, for being on the program. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you yeah, so much. Thank you. Stay on the line for a moment. Okay. All right, folks. That closes out Patricia Raskin Positive Living for today. We'll be with you next Monday, right here on VoiceAmerica.com, America's Voice. Stay healthy, stay happy, get the support you need, and know you can make your dreams come true. Until next time, I'm Patricia Raskin. Bye for now. Thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of Patricia Raskin's Positive Living. Be sure to join Patricia Raskin and another amazing guest next Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have an outstanding week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 